You are listening to another episode of Autism Outreach. I'm your host, Rose Griffin, and today I'm doing a solo show and talking all about IEP development for students with autism. If you're feeling overwhelmed by goal setting, this is an episode you don't want to miss. We are going to talk all about how to set functional goals for students you're working with who are nonverbal or Merging Communicators. I'm also going to share information about a great freebie I have called the Autism IEP Goal Bank. If you're feeling overwhelmed about IEP development, you're going to want to tune in. Let's get on to the show. You're listening to Autism Outreach Podcast, a podcast full of ready-to-use strategies to help those with autism strengthen their communication skills. Here's your host, Rose Griffin of ABA Speech, a speech therapist and board-certified behavior analyst who shares tips you can use in your next therapy session. Welcome to Episode 3 of the Autism Outreach Podcast. Today, what we're going to talk about is IEP development for students with autism. Goal writing can be very stressful, period but it is especially stressful for students with autism who are emerging communicators. It can feel like there are so many skills to work on. How do we determine what is the most important thing to focus on? I know that when I first started out, and actually anytime that I go to write an IEP, it feels like a big deal. This is what you're going to be working on in therapy for an entire year, typically, is how we write IEPs. If you're new to me, I am a treating therapist. I work three days a week in a public school setting, and I also see private clients through ABA speech. So I do a lot of IEP writing, and over my almost 20 years as a speech therapist, I have really refined how I'm writing goals for students. When I became a BCBA about 10 years ago, that really helped me understand and have a laser focus on how I can help my students with autism increase their communication skills. I know that when I first started as a speech therapist, I worked in this really amazing public school program that was specialized for students with autism. So it was a specialized program, but it was housed within a public school building and buildings which was really nice because we could work on inclusion and some students were fully included with support. Other students needed more specialized services in an autism type classroom. At that time, I had a lot of students who were emerging communicators. So they were talking a little bit, but they really needed to increase their receptive, expressive, and social language skills. I remember that I had set a yes-no goal for a lot of students for some reason on their IEPs. Now, this was before I was, before the VB map or some other assessment tools that I've talked about in prior episodes even existed. So I wasn't giving the VB map. I wasn't giving very specific assessments because they just were not available. I was trying my best with standardized assessments and then using more informal measures based on language development and things like that. So this particular year, I had a lot of students who were emerging communicators and a handful of them, I had set a yes-no goal. And so that would mean I would ask a student if they wanted something. That might be one of the objectives. Or I would hold up maybe a picture of an apple and I would say, is this an apple? 
And they would say yes. Or I would hold up a picture of an apple and I would say, is this a banana? And they would say no. And what I had found over the course of that year is that yes, no is a very, very difficult skill to work on. And I was just very young in my career at that point. And I really didn't have very focused assessment. So it was hard for me to know that that wasn't something that was maybe the most functional thing to work on. But after that year, I knew that I was not going to be setting that goal for students who were emerging communicators. I don't want you to go through that same feeling of overwhelm that I had when I was setting goals for students. And then when I set a goal that ended up being very difficult for the student, that was not a great feeling. So what I'm going to share with you today are strategies on how we can set really functional goals for our students. The first thing that we want to focus on is assessment. Assessment is going to be very key here for setting these goals. Standardized tests, if you're listening and you're a speech therapist, may not give us the best information, especially if we're working with students who are nonverbal or limited verbally. Oftentimes, we may not get a standard score. And so a lot of the things that we're assessing, the student may not be able to do. So we may not get a good picture of what intervention should look like. Another problem with standardized assessments that we typically give as speech-language pathologists is that oftentimes they don't assess manding or requesting. And that's such an important piece to helping students with autism start communicating, to helping students with autism find their voice. And so I know that some of the assessments that we've talked about in prior episode, I think episode two, we talked about that the functional communication profile is a really nice assessment. The VB map is a really nice assessment. These assessments are going to give you good information for students who are early learners, for students who are nonverbal or just starting to communicate. So if you have access to those, I would start with those. If you don't have access to those and you have to do a standardized test, because sometimes for insurance purposes, we do have to do standardized testing, I would give the standardized test and then I would also look at assessing learning readiness skills. So early learner skills, I kind of use those terms interchangeably. And so when I say early learner skills, I mean things like requesting. Can the student request wanted items or actions throughout the day or throughout a testing session? How do they let you know that they want the bubbles? How do they let you know that they want those pretzels when it's snack time? Looking at a student's receptive language, can they follow functional one-step directions? Okay, get your shoes. It's time to go outside. Does that make sense for them? Verbal imitation. Is the student saying any type of sounds? Can they say sounds or words after you? What is their verbal imitation like? These are all things that we want to look at. How is the student in a group? Are they able to participate in circle time? Are they able to participate in a morning meeting type of group? Are they able to label? Are they able to label preferred items, actions? This is all really good information that's going to help us set our goals. Can the student fill in the blank for common phrases or songs? So if you have students who are younger and you're working on 
songs that you might hear at circle time or story time and you say, twinkle, twinkle, little, do they know that star goes there? Is that something that they can do on their own? We call that an introverbal filling in the blank. And so I say something, you say something. That really is the building, the foundation for that social reciprocity piece. And it all kind of starts there with something simplistic like filling in the blank. Also analyzing, can the student engage in gross motor imitation? So if you clap and you say, okay, I'm going to do this one and you clap your hands, can the student do it after you? All right, I'm going to show you jumping. Can you do this one? Can the student do it after you? These skills help us learn more difficult skills. And so I refer to them as early learner skills. The other one that I always make sure to assess if it's not assessed in the evaluation that I'm giving is matching. Can the student match similar items? Can the student match similar pictures? That's a very important skill. So once we get that assessment piece, whether you're able to do the VB map or you have the functional communication profile or you're doing your own assessment and then using some of these early learner skills to informally assess where is the student with these skills, this is going to be the very first thing that we think about when we're goal setting. So once we have that assessment piece complete, we're going to analyze that and then we're going to collaborate. Collaboration is vital when we're creating an IEP, individualized education plan, or when we're creating goals for students with autism. Because we know that it takes a team effort to help our students increase their communication skills. So we've talked about what does a team mean? We definitely want to make sure that we're touching base with the teacher. We want to make sure we're touching base with, I always talk with a student's paraprofessional if the student works one-on-one with staff members because they have a lot of information about how the student is doing with these particular goals throughout the day or with their communication in general. Making sure that we talk with parents is so very important when we're drafting goals. I always make sure that I touch base with parents prior to the IEP meeting and I ask them, what are your biggest concerns with your student's communication? I always make sure that I do this prior to the meeting because I want to make sure that I use my assessment, I use my clinical judgment, I take in the team's thoughts and opinions as well. And the parents are such an important piece to that puzzle. What are they most concerned about and how can I embed those concerns into our goals? That's very important. The other thing we want to make sure that we're doing is keeping our goals functional. We want to think about why does the student need to know how to do this? Why is this important? We need to have a vision for our students' communication programming. That's going to be very, very important for our students going forward. And how we do that is we make sure that we have a practical and systematic approach to goal writing. So there are five different things that we want to think about when we're helping our students by drafting functional goals. And these are what those five things are. We want to think about these before we create that goal and before those goals for the students. We want to think about what behavior are we targeting? What is the behavior? Number two, we want to think about, is it appropriate for our client? 
Why are we working on this? That's a big piece of that. I tend to work with a majority of students who are older. And so that's something to think about too. If you're working with older learners, what is going to be appropriate for a student who's in middle school, high school, or adult age is probably going to be different than if you're working with somebody who is two or three or four or five. And maybe it's not, but we have to think about for that student, where they're at in their education and where we're thinking about the vision for their communication programming, we need to say to ourselves, is this appropriate for the client? So that's number two. The next thing we need to think about is, is it specific? How is this goal specific? And I'm going to give you examples of this too. Is it observable? So what does this look like? What does this particular goal look like? And this is something when I was first starting in the field, I feel like they just don't emphasize, <laughs> emphasize this enough in graduate school. But you know, you're setting a goal. Okay, what is the very specific thing we're thinking about? How are we going to observe it? And how are we going to take data on it? You know, something might sound really great in theory, but when you break it down and you write it on an IEP or you're writing it as a goal for a student, you need to think, okay, what does this really look like? An intervention. How will I really take data on this goal? That's all very important to consider. And then the last thing to think about when we're goal setting is what is mastery? Does it have to be done at 100% accuracy? Does it have to be done with zero prompts or maybe minimal prompts or one prompt? What is going to be that mastery criterion? And we'll talk about data in other podcast episodes. I could go on and on about data and I will in subsequent episodes. But you know, I hate to say that something is mastered, especially for a student with autism, because we know that that is hard for our students. Some of our students lose skills if we don't put them in maintenance. And so I always try to say, you know, what is mastery? The student met mastery or they met that particular criterion for that particular goal. So those five things are going to be very, very important. So what behavior are we targeting? Is it appropriate for the client? Is it specific? Is it observable? And what is mastery? So a really great goal is going to include all of those different components. And that may seem overwhelming, like, whoa, I don't know, am I including all those things when I write a goal? Am I thinking about all those things? And that's okay. If you're not thinking about those things, these are just things to think about. And if your life is anything like mine, I know that you probably have an IEP due very soon because I write IEPs every single week. I'm always goal setting. Okay, so here are some examples of some good goals. In the classroom environment, the student will follow functional one-step directions a total of eight with 90% accuracy over two consecutive sessions. I maybe even put some examples in there. Like what does that mean? So it may mean come here, throw this away, get a marker, grab a book, get your iPad. Those might be very specific examples that we work on. Now you may be saying, well, how did you put eight, eight one-step directions. If you have a student and you know what their learning history is, and you know that last year you worked really hard with intensive therapy and they were able to get six one-step directions or six of something where it met criterion, you're goal setting from that past learning history. You don't always have to put the specific amount of directions, but I tend to just so that when I'm progress reporting, I can show, oh, look, we said that we were going to work on eight of these. And you know what? If we get past more than eight, that's great. We're going to keep introducing new one-step directions. 
but it gives you a way to show specific progress, especially for students who may have a harder time acquiring new skills. So that would be a good goal. A not so good goal would be the student will increase their receptive language skills by following directions with 80% accuracy. That just doesn't include those specific pieces that we need to know about. Like, what does that mean? Receptive language could mean anything in that goal. That could mean getting a picture out of an array of different pictures. That could mean following one-step directions. That could mean following two-step directions. So we need to be more specific. Another example of a good goal would be when shown a picture, the student will label preferred items a total of six with 90% accuracy over two consecutive sessions. That's very specific. I know exactly that we're going to working on labeling preferred items, which we know that when we're working with students who are emerging communicators, that may be a better goal if we're working on labeling preferred items, if that's a hard skill for that student. Okay, we have the 90% accuracy and we know that it's over two consecutive sessions. So that's very specific. And then we might include some examples in there, like this might mean for this particular student, bubbles, book, iPad, cookie, chip, train. That's going to be different based on your student's motivation and what they love and enjoy. A not so good goal will be the student will label items with 80% accuracy. That's just too vague. It doesn't tell us enough information. Label items, that could be anything. Are we going to label community helpers? Are we going to label food items? Are we going to label items that are associated with school? It just doesn't tell us enough. Another good goal example, the student will request 10 preferred items or actions without prompting over three consecutive sessions. We have to start with specific targets there. Okay, what are the things that the student loves and enjoys? We know that we're going to work on those in a way of requesting that's going to help our student understand their communication is powerful. Okay, this makes sense. If I got some of these good goals that are listed here, I would feel comfortable running a therapy session with this student. A not so good goal would be the student will increase their ability to request. That really doesn't tell us many things. It doesn't give us as much information as I would like. Those are very important things to think about. So go back to your goals. Do you have an IEP coming up? Do you have an IEP that you just wrote? Do you want to get better in the methods of setting goals that are functional for your students? So thinking about being very specific so that if your student left your particular district or your particular clinic and went to another speech therapist, could somebody else pick that up and understand and have a vision for how a therapy session should run? Those are some examples of good goals, including all those different things that we talked about when goal setting, and then some not so good goals. I didn't want to say bad because I'm sure that we're all reading different goals that look like that. It's just, we have to think about where are we at right now and how can we do a little bit better to tighten things up in our sessions for our students. So going back to the idea of having a shared goal, shared goals are so important because I know that as a speech therapist, if I set a goal and I have a student who has three IEP goals and those three goals are worked on by me during speech therapy sessions and then they're also worked in the classroom by a one-on-one staff member. And then I also report very specifically on them on a progress report. And they're worked on by potentially parents at home or staff that comes to the student's home. I know that my student is going to get multiple exposures to those skills and we're going to embed them across the student's day. 
and they're gonna make more progress. I know that I have picked up IEPs before that have, and I'm not exaggerating, maybe seven communication goals. And underneath every single communication goal, there are multiple objectives. And there's just no way that a student can make progress and maintain progress on that many goals. We need to really think about how can we be more narrow in our focus so our student can learn new skills and generalize them across people, environments, and materials. That's very important. So shared goals are really, really something that I do in my practice and I would recommend to you. So a shared goal would mean that I would work on the goal and potentially I'm the one that may be reporting data on a progress report, but that other people on the student's team potentially the teacher, potentially a paraprofessional, potentially an RBT, whatever your setting is, other people are working on this goal as well. So let's give an example of, let's say that we have a student who's working on labeling an item when shown a picture or an actual item. Let's say that it's a shared goal between me and as a speech therapist and other team members. So it might look like this. The speech therapist works on labeling when they see the student for speech therapy sessions. Then the teacher or paraprofessional works on this during small group or one-on-one instruction during the week. So on days that the student does not have speech therapy, that other members of the team are also working on this goal. The gold standard would be that we have a shared data sheet, but that might be something that is a little overwhelming to think about right now. So we'll talk about I could do a whole episode on what that means, how we can embed communication programming across a student's day. But right now, let's just think about how can we work on something in speech therapy and then make sure that our student is also going to be working with on that skill with other people. Another idea for a shared goal could be the student will answer personal safety questions. So these may be things like, what is your name? What is your mom's name? What is your phone number? What is your address? We know that answering WH questions can be very hard for students with autism. And I always like to make sure when I'm working with students with autism that we make sure that we think about answering personal safety questions. That's why I included this one in here. So for this one, if it was a shared goal, the speech therapist would work on this during speech therapy sessions. And maybe we're really going to tease out, maybe the student's going to work on two questions. And they're going to work on until mastery. And they're going to work on those same two questions with their teacher throughout the week. And maybe they're going to work on those same two questions with the paraprofessional as well. They're going to be getting a lot of different opportunities to practice those skills until they reach them to mastery. So that's the idea is maybe we don't have seven different communication goals with lots of different objectives because then our students are just getting a very surface level understanding of those different goals. I am a big person that thinks about having less goals. Let's have less goals, a more narrow focus and having a deeper understanding and practicing of those skills. So the idea is we would work on those. Speech therapist works on them during her sessions. The other staff members work on them as well. And then we have specific data that's reported in progress notes. And then that way, the parents and potentially anybody that's working on a home team for our students with autism can generalize those into the home environment. That is the idea behind having a shared goal. Wow, we talked about a lot of information today. So to recap, when we're working on goal setting, it can be overwhelming because it can feel like there's so much to work on. First, do an assessment. 
If you're doing a standardized assessment and you're not able to work on and analyze some of those early learner skills, make sure you do an informal assessment and include some of those things. Like, can the student request? If they can't, we need a goal for that. Is a student able to follow one-step directions? Can they participate in groups? What are their play skills like? Those are all things that are very, very, very important for our students. Make sure that we collaborate with the team. Parents' input prior to the meeting is important. I like to talk to parents before the meeting to get their input. I like to, you know, use my clinical expertise, my data to draft goals. And then we send that home as a draft so we can get modifications prior to the meeting. I want that IEP meeting to be something where we get together and we're just kind of going over all the things we've been talking about together as a team prior to the meeting. We want to make sure that we create functional goals for our students. We want to think about those five things we talked about. What behavior are we targeting? Is it appropriate for the client? Is it specific? Is it observable? And what is mastery? Think to yourself before you set these goals, what is this going to look like in therapy? And how am I going to take data on it? Shared goals are amazing. This is where we get more bang for our buck when we're working together as a team for our students. If you want more help with IEP and goal development, go to the show notes and download your free autism IEP goal bank. I have an IEP goal bank that is geared towards a student who is nonverbal or an emerging communicator. This goal bank has been downloaded by thousands and thousands of parents and professionals, and I've gotten a lot of feedback that it's very, very helpful. I want to make sure that you feel comfortable when you are goal setting for your students with autism. So make sure that you subscribe and write a review of the show. I always love to incorporate your feedback. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Autism Outreach. If you enjoyed the show today, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode full of actionable strategies you can use in your therapy room. Write a review too. That would mean so much to me. I always love hearing from you. Have a specific topic that you want included on a future show? Reach out over on Instagram, ABA Speech by Rose, or visit me at www.abaspeech.org.